Hello, and welcome to the Go Take Pictures podcast, where we spend time getting to know people who've decided to use photography to communicate in powerful ways. And the question I want to ask, how do they balance making art with being a real person? How does photography fit into their family, their job, struggles, and everyday life? At the end of the conversation, I'm hoping to know where the art comes from and then share that with you. My guest on this episode is Christopher Shin, a Seattle, Washington-based photographer. I got to know Chris through his film photography project, By Way of Water, documenting his time on the ferries around the Seattle area. In addition to being a fantastic photographer, he's become a leader in the NFT photography community over the last few months. We talked about everything from his background growing up in the Bay Area of California pursuing music and sports, to how he found himself making images on a rediscovered film camera that belonged to his father. This was a fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Chris, thanks for taking the time and, and making this happen. We we had a misstart over the weekend when my dog ate a whole bunch of chocolate-covered gummy bears. Oh, man. How'd that so, pan out? <laughs> it panned out okay. Okay, he's, good. He's the, he's the biggest, derpiest <laughs> idiot dog. Um, two, so it was a two-pound tub of chocolate-covered gummy bears. Oh, my God. Like and, a Costco and, tub? <laughs> actually, they were custom-ordered off the internet. Like oh, wow. Wife, yeah, she had been craving the uh, chocolate-covered gummy bears. They're a thing that they had in the bulk bins at the movie theater. Yeah, back when back in the before back when movies were a thing. <laughs> yeah, and so she was, you know, kind of craving them, and we she ordered them. She had eaten like I don't know a handful out of there, and then put them oh, in man. her nightstand drawer, which we don't we still don't know quite how he got the drawer open, but um, we'll never know. The dogs, yeah, the dogs. <laughs> both of our dogs were in the bedroom chilling out um while we went out and saw a movie and went to dinner as a family yeah we came we came home and he his belly was all distended the other dog was you know all happy to see us and he had a shit any grin on his face like (laughs) i guess we did did something bad (laughs) yeah so we spent the night uh all evening at the emergency vet clinic oh um, man such a bummer having him uh induced to have (laughs) to vomit all of them up (laughs) The worst part is that my other dog, who's a seven-year-old sweetheart, she had to have in, be induced as well, and mm. it turned out she didn't. She didn't eat any of them. Oh, so she's just like, "What the hell?" It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, like I'm just guilty by association. I just helped. Oh, yeah, I didn't no. eat anything. <laughs> yeah, we. I felt so bad for her, but he Aww. had to stay overnight. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, and then, luckily, the, the the vet bill wasn't too bad because he just basically recovered. He was fine. But yeah, thank God. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, we were planning to record on Saturday night, and that happened here. Uh, <laughs> all good, man. All good. But all that being said, um, I'm excited that we're we have a ch- finally have a chance to talk. This likewise. Is, um, I, I'm so familiar with your voice from all the spaces that you do on Twitter. Yeah, which is cool. But um, yeah, this is fun. Yeah, I know you and I have talked quite a bit on spaces, so I feel like I recognize your voice pretty well too. So it's like yeah. um, catching up with an old friend in a different format. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that and that's it's it's, a, it's really weird that's a, kind of an odd thing that i've noticed um i have a few friends that i've been connecting with that are overseas mm-hmm. that that are uh you know that that i'm in in twitter spaces with or that i'm in group chats or the um, our new photo collective and so we get on let's go hey let's just get on voice chat and so i'm talking with uh one of our guys who's in india i've got one that's in australia we've got uh, a guy that's um it's an American that's living in, in um, Ireland. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, it's kind of cool to just be like, I talk to them all the time, yeah. which is really unusual because I, I've never had that before talking with people overseas a lot. 
Well, it's also interesting too, because like, because of text messages, I feel like we've all gotten so far from like the phone call. Like if someone calls, you're like, who's dying? Why are they calling me? You know, <laughs> like, what's wrong, mom? Why are you calling? Like, you could just text me. What's exactly. up? Um, but now okay, so- <laughs> we lean into, we lean into spaces so hard. Cause it's almost like we're over the, just like text comment message format of Twitter. And we're like, let's take this another step towards it being like more human conversation. So it's kind of interesting to see how that's kind of gone like full circle a little bit. Oh, totally. So I'll have, I'll put this out there. So I'm, I'm 46. Mm -hmm. How old are you? I'm 32. 32. Okay. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of different generation than me. Yeah, Um, barely. Like, yeah, I mean, we have, it's interesting. Like my, my wife's younger brother is 31 Mm -hmm. and they are kind of proudly millennials. They like, (laughs) they kind of identify there sure, um, and they're super successful. Like she has a, his wife has a PhD in biomedical engineering and he's a nurse that's studying to be a, uh, a nurse anesthetist. So super smart people. Yeah. Big but brain it's energy. Fun they do not want to talk on the phone and I'm old enough that I had a phone with a rotary dial. <laughs> okay. I never had house. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I'm totally comfortable on the phone. Yeah. And, and I, and I routinely will, I have a couple of friends that are close, pretty close to age and I just, I can call them and I know they'll pick up and, and it's vice versa. See, I was a, but it, like a step behind you as far as, or maybe a step ahead as far as the tech. So I, I do remember having the landline that was stuck to the wall with a cord. <laughs> the um, spiral cord. The spiral cord that probably stretched like 20 feet if you needed mm-hmm. it to. Um, right. and then like the, the recorder, when you get home from wherever you were and there'd be yeah. like four messages, like, Hey, call me back. It's so-and-so like, I still remember that, that generation of, of like communicating via telephone, but gosh, when those phones became like wireless and then like the, oh, car, yeah. my, I remember my dad's first car phone, like being like, mm-hmm. this is crazy. You have a phone in your glove, in your glove box. This is crazy. Right. And then they got wireless and then had uh-huh. antennas that pop, you know, it's just the whole, just the whole road of technology. But oh yeah, I do remember, you know, the, the phone stuck to the wall, having to dial in the numbers and remember people's phone numbers. Like it was, yep. it was, um, something that I think kind of helped your memory. You know, like I still remember oh, totally. so many phone numbers and I know my mom's phone number, my sister's and other people's by heart still, but a lot of people are like, I don't even know my, know my own phone number. I'm like, that's crazy, <laughs> dude. I have three. I have three teenagers, and I could not tell you any of their phone numbers. Yeah, yeah. I like, mean, it's, I, they that's all have phones. They're all they're all doing their thing, but I have no idea what their phone numbers are. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's that kind of it, it's interesting to watch even how my kids are how they operate because they don't the idea of landlines are just completely like they know that it was a thing. Yeah, but they don't have any frame of reference for it because we've never had one the entire time they've been alive. Someday they'll be trendy again for some reason. Uh, oh, totally. Well, I think <laughs> I saw a, um, I can't remember, this is a few years ago, but you could buy a handset that looked like an old handset and it had a little cord with a little, with a little spiral cord and you could plug sure. it into like the, the um, <laughs> lightning port on the bottom of an iPhone and use yeah. it as your, uh, as you, know, you could use it as a handset. Which That's is totally hilarious. Stupid. That's <laughs> hilarious. Might have to get my hands on one of those. So crazy. So, um, <laughs> so wild. yeah, spaces, spaces has been interesting because I've been you know, recording podcasts for the last year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm pretty used to that, the format of it. And I was on clubhouse a little bit, sure. but, um, but it, it was, um, I'm, I'm also just used to talking. I'm a talker. So I didn't do clubhouse at all until oh, really? like, 
Yeah, and to like the Twitter stuff, I think when NFT Twitter first started kind of popping off, there was still some action on Clubhouse because Spaces hadn't really become like a full-fledged thing. Yeah. So I hopped into some. I remember talking in a couple, but like I remember downloading the app like two or three months ago and just being like, oh, this is different, you know, but um, yeah. I do recognize yeah. there was a pretty big, you know, like the John Knops and those guys, like they were all... Yeah clubhouse and you can tell coming over to spaces that there's already kind of a pre-established little like click for lack of a better word just people that have been sure. talking for a lot longer than a lot of us have been talking with each other so it's really yeah. interesting yeah, but sure. you know glad it existed and it's cool to see it merging a little bit into the spaces it's less yeah. re- redirecting well, i had kind of um i used it and then i kind of forgot about it. i actually deleted the app and clubhouse? Then, yeah and uh-huh. then um my friend Matt Payne has a, mm-hmm. a podcast. I don't know if you've heard. It's called F Stop Collaborate and Listen. I think I have it's listened a, to it. Yeah, it's a it's a landscape uh, photography podcast, mm-hmm. um, na- nature landscape photography, and he has a couple of listeners that are that host kind of like a after party. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Like right as soon as every episode comes out, they do a, like a it's not a listening party, but a hey, we just listened to it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, like a and recap. So, yeah, 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 and. Um, and a friend of mine was on and then they had the, and I was like, Oh, I'll go listen to the listening party. And mm-hmm. I had to redownload the app and reauthorize <laughs> it. And I just realized, Oh yeah, I deleted this two months ago. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Something always draws you back in. Oh yeah, totally. Like, well, oh, that, I, it's, it's been interesting cause that's a little bit been my, I've been on Twitter since 2008, I think. Okay. Um, and I had, I've always been kind of, I've kind of come and gone, Same. but it was weird. It was weird kind of jumping back into Twitter and having it blow up and be this whole different thing that is very different than anything I ever used it for before. Yeah. I used to get on Twitter and just like angrily rant about like, <laughs> like the sharks, you know, or like the giants, <laughs> like being a Bay area guy. Like I just used to get on, I am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Is that cool? Of course. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just wanted to preface, but I, I, just, I roll with, uh, I roll with whoever, with whatever people's preferences. Are. Yeah. I just, I, I got, a, I used to just get on Twitter and just like talk a bunch of shit. Like, just yeah. like, like, why do they still have so-and-so in? Like they need to send them <laughs> down. Why? Like just being pissed. And then obviously like, you know, when Twitter first started, I think I was probably on it back in like 2008 or 2007. It was just like, Chris is having Chipotle. Like that was it. (laughs) It was just like your little status updates that eventually became kind of what Facebook turned into with like, what's on your mind. Um, And that's all it used to be. Like I'm listening to this band. I'm having this to eat. I'm going here with so-and-so. And And it was like super short. And then obviously you fast forward 12 years, it became like a crazy platform where presidents were getting banned and politics and just it's, we're lucky we're in our little photo bubble because I'm still pretty confident there's a humongous chunk of Twitter that's just a giant cesspool of shit that's just oh, not yeah. not fun. But the algorithm kind of keeps us in our box, which I'm thankful for because I don't really want to go back to that Twitter. That's why I left and came yeah. back so many times. Well, I saw somebody complaining about Twitter, and I j- just kind of like, oh, it's so uh, it's so so awful, and there's all this politics and all this stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, dude, NFT Twitter is so busy. That, yeah. there, that stuff is gone before even anybody ever sees it. Oh, you don't so see it you, anymore at all. If you did follow somebody who posts that stuff, yeah, like it, it's it's like a um, a drop in the sea. It's, I mean, I, it's I follow going so fast. I follow the dudes that host Pod Save America, and I never ever see anything they tweet ever. Mm-hmm. If I see anything political get in my timeline, I'm always shocked at this point. Where I'm just like, wow, yeah. like I used to see this stuff pretty often, but now that 
you know, my following has grown and the amount of people I'm following has grown to basically just be like a community of creatives. I don't see any of this other stuff anymore. And I right. almost forget that I follow them. So it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty crazy. It just kind of disappears, but you know, that's, that's Twitter in a nutshell. You refresh your page and something's just gone downstream so far. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh, where am I ever going to find that tweet ever again? Well, I found that I have a few uh, friends that just don't, you know, they're not involved in the same, you know, kind of communities sure. that I am. And so I actually have yeah. their set up to notify me so that I oh, nice. do see them. Yeah. Just because yeah. I know yeah. they post twice a day and I'll never see it if I don't set up notifications. So. Oh, yeah. There's no chance. Um, it's going to go right by you. So, okay. So um, we have already been shooting the shit here for a little bit, but would you... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be cool to know a little bit more about you just kind of where you're from sure. that sort of thing um, um just so people know your background yeah so i was born in the bay area um 1989 i'm actually in walnut creek california which is in the east bay um probably 20 miles out from san francisco um <laughs> born and raised there i lived in the bay area for 31 years um, ended up moving to Seattle almost a year ago. Uh, oh, wow. This past weekend, the 25th was our, our one year move anniversary, I guess. Um, <laughs> cool. But yeah, I just kind of grew up um, just like really into sports. I grew up playing sports as a kid, like left playing hockey, um, got into hockey at a young age, which was pretty rare in California because the Sharks were a relatively new team and the Ducks didn't exist. And um, right. just played hockey, um, played baseball took a stab at basketball, didn't really do football, um, kind of stuck with sports like middle school and then um, kind of leaned more into music. I picked up playing drums in third grade, but it was kind of just a, a music class kind of thing. And then that started to grow. And before I knew it, like music had completely taken over my life. And I was mm -hmm. just like obsessed with playing drums and ended up joining a band in like seventh or eighth grade. And then basically just stayed playing in bands up until I was probably like 26 or 27. And then mm -hmm. um, sold all my gear, all my drums, all my cymbals, luckily kept my stance because I got back into drums now, but um, sold it all for photo gear and then really, <laughs> really went down the photo rabbit hole. And it's been something that I really haven't looked back since. Um, and it's wow. been, it's like my TLDR little life story, but if you want to dig into anything specifically, I'd be happy to. Well, okay. So right off the bat, like we have some things, some serious things in common here. So sure. I grew up as a, as a full on and different kind of music, but I grew up as a band nerd. So sure. played violin in fifth grade, quickly switched to saxophone because violin was dumb. <laughs> saxophone um, was sick too. <laughs> Awesome. Dude, saxophone was amazing. I <laughs> I was and I grew up in a small town, so I yeah. I was I was like uh I got good at it and became yeah. kind of, you know, big fish in the small pond really quick. Sure. Um and I went to college for I was a music major in college. Um I majored in jazz comp and jazz composition and arranging. Um, cool. And started I picked up guitar somewhere in there. Um uh, mainly I was I picked up guitar to play at church but it quickly turned into something else and yeah. started writing, started writing songs, put together a band, recorded an album, did a solo yeah. uh, singer songwriter thing, um, toured around some colleges and coffee shops around the Northwest. Yeah. Um, yeah. You did all that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I've done all that stuff, all that, all that band stuff, uh, done a bunch of recording. There is, it's funny cause um, um, 
Steve uh, Wall Savage, I think is how you mm-hmm. say his name. I call him Wall Savage. <laughs> there we go. That, that works. He he was mentioning that he has a tab open on his browser because in one space I mentioned that I was that I have an album on iTunes. <laughs> so if you look up my name, there is an album of singer songwriter folk music from two thousand one. That's epic. It's very influenced by like um, kind of early John Mayer type stuff. Sure. So, <laughs> It's out there. Yeah. Um, I still I still have my guitars. Um I didn't sell any of my guitars to buy I've sold a bunch of pedals and crap to buy gear, to buy photo gear. But yeah, it's expensive. I still have most yeah, I worked in a music store, so I, I got some crazy nice stuff mm-hmm. for not too expensive. That's and nice. So I, it, it's always felt like I can't really get rid of those. Like I have a Taylor guitar that's my, you know, I'll never, never part with that. But, sure. Um, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, but then my 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 kids have gotten into uh, both my boys are playing guitar and they both played in band as well. They were um, one played saxophone, one played tuba, and my daughter plays trumpet. So nice, lot, lots of music around here. Um, not quite as much sports. I I ran cross country and track and when I was growing up and and rode mountain bikes, but um, I didn't really. I always said that any sport that involved the use of a ball was kind of. <laughs> not my thing sure sure yeah i I, lean, I definitely lean i leaned more towards the pucks definitely but yeah um i was actually pretty decent with baseball too i i was a pitcher because I'm, I'm not the most athletic dude in the world um you know baseball practice i would fake like ankle injuries so i wouldn't have to run poles or do any of like the four mile stupid run <laughs> like why are we running so much like at the very most we're gonna have to run around the bases like why are we why are we trying to pretend that we're like long distance runners here? <laughs> um, I think it was more discipline than anything, but I was like, I don't want to do this shit. So I used to oh, fake awesome. injuries, but I was a good pitcher. Like I would be the number one starter. Um, never made varsity, but I was on JV at a pretty young age and sure. developed like a pretty good curve ball. Kind of had like a drop down, like slurve type pitch that I would throw. And um, it's something that if I, you know, in hindsight, maybe would have, potentially leaned into a little more seeing like the kind of like stupid money you see some pitchers getting these days. <laughs> like, you know, so-and-so got a $400 million contract for 10 years. Oh, yeah. And it's like, man, that's, that's great when you play once every five days. Um, but yeah. you know, I, I, don't, <laughs> right. I don't regret, I don't regret following my creative gene at all, but baseball was definitely one of those things where it's like, I'm going to pick, you know, am I going to go play music or am I going to be a pitcher? Um, yeah neither one of them was really kind to like my rotator cuffs, you know, being a, being a drummer right. and having symbols and in, in hard oh, to reach no, places sure. like my shoulders are all screwed up, but my wrists have, you know, arthritis and all that kind of stuff, but it's fine. It, it's worth it. It was all fun. So what kind of music, what did you, what kind of stuff did you play? Oh man, anything that, anything that I could hit hard, to be honest, like I, <laughs> just grew up on like blink and green day and, and punk mm-hmm. bands used to go to warp tour every single summer. And, um, yeah, I just kind of progressed and kept becoming like pop punk music to playing in like hard, hardcore bands, like kind of like heavier screamo type stuff. And, um, played in a couple bands that were a little bit more like proggy and experimental, but that was kind of, um, it wasn't as fun for me to be honest. Like sure. the music was great. There was a lot of guitars and effects and, like odd time signature stuff happening, but um, I kind of just preferred like laying down just a solid heavy beat. Um, yeah, broke a lot of cymbals, broke a lot of drumsticks. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just reckless, you know. Like when you're young and you're just putting 120 percent of your energy into hitting a drum, you start to feel it as you get a little older. So yeah, glad I did it when I did. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I always think it's interesting to to see what um how even the drummers that you you know come to admire over the years <laughs> mm-hmm. like what what they what kind of music they end up playing outside of what they're famous for totally you know like and i don't know like one of the ones that's most interesting to me is stuart copeland mm-hmm. the he's the drummer for the police of course and and he has this entire other career being a jazz musician yeah that that happened you know kind of after the fact he it wasn't it's not related at all to what he was doing playing in this little this little <laughs> kind of um new wave punk trio yeah yeah it's so hard to put a finger on the police like what you call them but yeah i mean you also kind of like ska reggae yeah uh, like he definitely brings that reggae kind of style of drumming to the police that yeah um, it could have been a totally different band with a different drummer but he he put enough spice on that on those songs to make it fall into a certain kind of genre which is admirable yeah Um, are you um are you familiar with um tim ferris at all I've heard the name a lot on other podcasts, but I haven't listened to so, much of Tim Ferriss' stuff. Yeah, so he has a TV show that he created, um, and it was like it was called the Tim Ferriss Experiment, mm-hmm. where he where he goes and basically learns how to go do something world class in a week. Crazy. And he like on this episode, he goes and learns to to surf big waves with Laird Hamilton, mm-hmm. and he, and he goes and he learns to play drums, and Stuart Copeland is one of his teachers, uh-huh. and he's. He's learning to play drums so he can be the drummer with Foreigner on stage mm-hmm. when they're playing like at like the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> That's crazy. And he actually does it. Um, yeah. No, Stuart I had Copeland no doubt. Is one of his te- he's one of the teachers. And it's just kind of wild to kind of hear how he works through that stuff. And, yeah. Teaching um, someone to play drums that's never played drums before requires you to take like a humongous step backwards because yeah. you're so years, years beyond when you just try to have to figure out how to like have all four of your limbs doing different things. It just seems oh, so yeah. normal to you that you're like, wait, how do I teach someone who doesn't know how to do this to like get the bare minimum and kind of build oh, yeah. from that? So I couldn't imagine. It's tough, especially in a week. No, I, crazy. Yeah, no, it's it's wild. He does, he does a bunch of crazy stuff like that where he's learning to do this stuff. So it's it's interesting. You can look it up. I think it's on iTunes. Yeah, um, no, I'm definitely going to check that out. It sounds Tim fascinating. Ferris experiment. I'll have to cool. send you the link. But yeah. uh, we bought the whole season and the boys and I watched it in the, nice. a few years ago. And they were like, this is awesome because he's it doing sounds all this crazy great. shit. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Well, one more drum thing and then we'll be go- done. But I have like... There's one person whose drumming always makes me think, and I would love to be a drummer. Well, two people really. But... um. One of them is, um, um, oh, why am I pulling a blank here? Um, what band? It's uh, Mute Math. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, da- yeah. Darren, Darren King. Yes. That and, dude's crazy. Right. I mean, he's like uh, gaff tapes headphones onto his uh, head before every show. <laughs> yeah. And he just goes nuts. And he basically sounds like a drum machine. Yeah. But he, no, he's, but he's, a, he's a monster. Yeah. So if anybody's not following him already, you should just go look him up. It's uh, DK the drummer is his Twitter handle. He's awesome. Or not Twitter, but his um, Instagram his Instagram handle. And he pl- he posts all kinds of crazy stories of making beats. And he makes beats like um, that's like stuff with Kanye and stuff. Like he's yeah, he's he's he makes, far he beyond makes drum sounds. Yeah. No, he's, it's insane. He makes loops. You can buy yeah. whole loop kits of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's um, awesome. Mute Math is no more. They have broken up, and it's now just uh, the lead singer continuing on. But um, I'm a huge fan, and his drumming yeah. is—I always listen to it. Go, I don't even know what I'm listening to here. Yeah, like, I'm happy I it. saw them. I saw them once at a at a music festival down in the Bay Area. I wasn't a fan of them when I saw them, but just watching their set, I was like, "Man, this is crazy!" And like, yeah. you couldn't help 
but just be sucked into watching him, you know, like there's yeah. just some, something different about the way he was playing drums. I was like, I'm just staring at him the entire set. Like yeah. couldn't care less what the other people on stage were doing. I was so fascinated. So yeah, yeah definitely a, a good follow for, for drum drumming. Fans I've seen them there. a couple of times myself and cool. it was like, it was ho- like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> what am it's I even wild. watching here? Yeah. It's wild. The, the other, the other one, and this is totally belying my age, but it's uh, Carter Buford, the yeah. drummer for Dave Matthews band. Yeah. Dude, the stud. Watching him, I could watch those videos and I just go, could you guys just leave the video on him? I don't <laughs> like, I mean, I, I like Dave Matthews. I'm, I'm a, I'm of the age where I'm a fan, but I think he lives um, where I live. I think he's in, I've heard that he lives in Ballard in Seattle. Oh, Dave. I haven't ran into Dave at the farmer's market yet, but, <laughs> um, I, Cactux Vince is actually a huge Dave Matthews band fan. And okay. I told him, I was like, dude, if I ever run into Dave, I'm going to tell him you say hi. And he's like, there you go. There he's you like go. that's so crazy. You could ever even imagine running into Dave, but yeah. it hasn't happened yeah. yet. And if it has, he was probably wearing a mask and I wouldn't recognize him. So. <laughs> I love such, it. Such is life. The, the only things you can only say uh, after the pandemic, he's <laughs> exactly. wearing a mask. I, yeah. I've seen people I know that I'm friends with that I try to say hi to them in the, at Target and they go, they just look the other way. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So <laughs> that's cool. I love that. I love that we have that in common. It's always interesting. The more you talk to different people, how much you learn, how many different people you, that you find have these things in common with you. Like sure. one of the other people I interviewed a few uh, months back is my friend Keith. Um, and his, he was like a hardcore baseball player, like playing in college level and then got in a, got hit in the head Oof. and it, his career was over. And now he's a landscape photographer Damn. and, and his work is phenomenal. So yeah, it's just life kind of hitting, literally hitting you upside the head, being like, "Yo, exactly, time yeah. to pivot, time to pivot." <laughs> yeah, so you, so crazy. you just you learn all these things about people. So yeah. okay, so we're dense. You sold you sold your drum gear <laughs> to buy camera equipment. I did. How did you How did you get into photography? I guess maybe when did you get into it, and and how did you get into it? What's the What's the story there? Yeah, I so my parents bought a camera back in the day, just a simple like digital camera, um, like a Canon PowerShot, one of those kind of just run-of-the-mill digital cameras for like family trips um and i just kind of started messing around with it and really enjoyed it i don't know if the compositions or anything i took at the time was good or not but i felt like it was um and it got me excited just to see like wow i just took this picture and i'm seeing it on the screen now that's so crazy um and then i took a photo class in high school which was kind of just your intro um you know making pinhole cameras developing film in a dark room And then the other half of that semester was like learning Photoshop and kind of like seeing the digital side of things. Um, I actually did a report (laughs) in that class. Um, We were supposed to do a report about a photographer that inspired us that was alive. And I did it on Ansel Adams, who was dead Uh um, at the time (laughs) and still is, obviously. Um, But I didn't care. So I was like, (laughs) you know what? I want to like go down the... (laughs) I want to go down the rabbit hole on Ansel Adams. I ended up failing the report because I missed like one of the most important requirements is that they had to be living. But I was like, you know what? Like I'm, I'm into this like black and white landscape stuff that Ansel's doing. Like it, it speaks to me for whatever reason. And um, so I took that class in high school, didn't really do much with photography for probably a a solid decade. And then um, ended up working retail a bunch, getting out of that job into a job that was like a social media and marketing manager for um, someone in the Bay Area that had like a handful of small businesses that needed photography and social media work. So I was like, cool, like I could, I could do that. Like it's a open door out of this like shitty retail job. Like I can go do something that's creative and 
a little bit more with the times instead of sitting around in a shop mm-hmm. and just like ringing people up all day. Um, and they had like a Canon, right. I want to say it was like a T3i. It was one of those crop sensor DSLRs with a kit lens. And I just started using that to yeah. shoot and quickly just fell in love with like the photography aspect of that job. And fast forward a couple of years, I got out of that job, went back to school, but I bought myself a camera because I gave that guy back his camera that I was using. Um, bought myself a Rebel T7i, right. which is like a step up from the one I was using, but still a crop sensor, a uh, pretty small megapixel, you know, like was, it wasn't great, um, but it was just something to learn on. And then I ended up selling all my drums right. to buy like a Canon EOS R, um, which, I mean, the body itself, I think was damn near $3,000. And then all of the lenses for those cameras are just astronomical. So um, had to, you know, wasn't swimming in a pool of money. So I had to cut a few ties and free up some money to get myself a camera. Um, and that's what I did. And then right. just kind of got out and started shooting, just like really inspired. Um, a lot of stuff, let's watch a lot of things on YouTube, found a bunch of new artists and just kind of went out and tried to grow as a photographer. So that's oh, kind of awesome. my, uh, no, my long winded answer. <laughs> so how, and how long ago was that? Because you know you mentioned the EOS, EOS R, that's not too long. Yeah, ago. no, it was relatively new when I like the the RP wasn't out yet, like the the R five wasn't even in discussion yet. Um, right, I think it was the first. Well, that that EOS R was really really popular with uh, the YouTube video guys. Yes, they were like it has a flip out screen. It's great, like it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and now everyone's just like it doesn't have all the things we need as videographers. <laughs> I'm like it's a camera, like. That's the hardest part um, about those reviews is like you're watching a vlogger review this camera as a vlogger and you're like, but how are the photos? Like I'm watching this as a photographer. Like, how is it? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I bought the EOS R when it was pretty new. Um, So this must have been, I must have got this camera in like 2019 or 2018. Right, right. Um, So I was going back to school late, you know, as like a 30 year old um, to finish school because I took a bunch of time off from school. Um, to play music and and work. Um, so yeah, I went back to school and bought myself a camera and kind of went to class, didn't have a job and just went out and shot in my spare time. So it was um, cool. actually a pretty good time in my life looking back at it just to kind of be floating and not, not really committed to anything. So um, it's no, good I love that time That's to cool. kind of discover myself. So what, um, one of the things that I'm kind of finding interesting is that I, I actually have your website pulled up. Mm. and, and I'm looking at it. Well, <laughs> I, I was going to get there, but one of the things that I find really interesting sure. is that I have gotten to know you through the stuff that you, that is basically the work that you're putting out as NFTs on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So I'm familiar with that work. When I look at your website, this is very different. And I'm, I think anybody who knows me kind of, Anybody who listens to the podcast knows I shoot a lot of landscape. Sure. Um, and that's that's kind of how I've gotten to where I am. I'm primarily a commercial photographer by day, but um, like a lot of headshots and product and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, what's the right word here? Uh, like lifestyle, you know, I- inside of a business, that sort of thing. But sure. When I look at your website, I go, oh, okay, cool. I see a whole bunch of landscape stuff here, but this is not. Like I've seen you tease this a little bit. I've seen a few of your, you know, kind of one of one um, pieces on foundation. But mm-hmm. the stuff that I think most people know you for is this is your black and white um, mm-hmm. film work. Sure. So 
so I'm curious, where does that fit in? And how did you get started with shooting that stuff? Cause that's um, a much more gritty street sort of a vibe. Yeah. Um, this past year, I actually inherited my dad's. Um, so my dad passed in 2008 when I was 18, which was a big part of my life. But fast forward to maybe a year ago, my mom was like, hey, I have dad's old camera still. Like, do you want this or not? Mm. And I was like, yeah, send me a picture. And it's just like mint, like mint condition Canon AE-1 program, which is just like the best film camera for yeah. someone who's learning how to do it. Like you can right. put that camera in a mode and just know how to focus your camera and shoot good film. Like it's, it's, right. it's like, if you want to be as basic as possible, or if you want to get into full manual mode and, and figure things out yourself, like you have the option to do so. Um, so I just got really, uh, I feel like I got almost a little bit um, uninspired by digital for a while. And I, I think it did have something to do with the NFT space in a sense, because like looking at my landscape work, it's, it's pretty like purist, you know, I'm like, I'm bumping some saturation doing a couple things in, in Lightroom, but I'm not really like doing anything that's like composite. Nothing is multiple frames. It's all like single exposure shots, just trying to do the best I can in camera and then make tweaks after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but just seeing kind of how much amazing digital landscape work was in this space. I was like, man, like I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of hitting this wall here where I'm just not going to be good enough, you know? And that was mm-hmm. just personal you know that's just imposter syndrome which i've talked about before on twitter it's just it never goes away and i'm realizing that now but um and then this film camera kind of lands in my lap and i'm like you know what i'm gonna like go down this rabbit hole and and i've always appreciated the look of film photography like following you know a handful of photographers on on instagram that were shooting in film and just always loved the look of it you know whether it just looks super vintage whether it has kind of a desaturated look you know just all sorts of different stocks bring out different things but i just love the look of it and when i all of a sudden had this mm-hmm. camera land on my lap i was like okay i'm gonna buy some film and i'm gonna learn how to do this like i'm gonna go to youtube university and figure out how to shoot film you know <laughs> right. like and um yeah and and being in seattle you know I, I ride the ferries a ton and just started bringing the camera with me on the ferry every time and just running around shooting and then you know, walking, taking walks around the neighborhood, shooting film, like shooting flowers or taking pictures of my dog or just whatever I came across and just instantly became hooked and addicted to whenever I got these scans back from the lab, just being like, oh my gosh, like, this is so cool. Like, this is exactly what I saw. It's got this, it's got this different look to it. Like you take a shot and you really have to think about it before you shoot off a frame because you don't have an SD card with like 95 megabytes of space to like shoot right. off a burst of like <laughs> right. 10,000 photos and then come pick your best one. And uh, it just kind of opened this whole other door for photography for me that I hadn't dabbled in and just really ignited this inspiration that I hadn't felt for a while. And uh, yeah, I just kind of went, you know, I tend to do this. I just kind of went head first into it and just like, you know, I'm going to use the digital camera when I need to, but I'm going to focus on shooting film primarily it's kind of my default now yeah oh i love it that, that and i think that's that's such an interesting um i like the way you describe it that the the space there's so much amazing work out there and sometimes you just need to go how do i do something that's kind of different yeah and not just for yeah. the sake of being different but scratching that itch you know where you just want to kind of like awaken something else within yourself and i think yeah you've seen a lot of that with NFTs, which is great. Is like, we all put out 
collections that were kind of like our bread and butter. But then you start to see a lot of photographers being like, but I also do this. And it's like, wait, you what? what? Like, I've never seen you post this stuff on foundation. Like, what is this whole other side to these people? And that's been really exciting to me to see someone who, you know, might be a great landscape photographer, but is also like shooting amazing film portraits. It's like, whoa, like, and now this is all out there and you're, you're making money on it and getting rewarded for, kind of being vulnerable and stepping outside the box you've kind of created for yourself. And it's a, it's a really, uh, it's exciting. You know, I, I think yeah. for lack of any better word, it's just exciting to see because it's just this full creative control. I agree. I agree. And I, that was kind of, I, I had sort of a moment where I was interviewing David Johnston a few mm-hmm. weeks ago where he basically, I asked him about that stuff. Cause I, I've known David's work for a long time. Sure. And when he started, when he started putting out some of these travel kind of more street travel photos i just be like what well, how did why were where'd this come from yeah um and then i started realizing i was asking that question and i also had like i have ridiculous catalogs of other stuff that has nothing to do with yeah <laughs> yeah you <laughs> just so, put out you just put out that portland series like that's yeah it that's and it's it's weird because i think as landscape photographers those kind of photos almost became like our like our b-sides it's like yeah yeah. This is this is what I'm shooting primarily, but this is all the stuff I shot in between, or like when I just went out to like wander around the city. But this isn't this isn't who I am as a photographer, so I'm not going to like put this yeah. on Instagram or you know. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what's been really exciting. It breaks to see all that, the like, rules. It, it, yeah. yeah, breaks the algorithm rules, right? <laughs> the B side has now become the A side, and it's like it's not. You can have two A sides now. It's not like well, you're you're a landscape photographer. It's like no, yeah. like I, and that's why in my Twitter bio it says travel photographer. Because I could shoot landscapes when I'm traveling. I could shoot street when I'm traveling. I could shoot film when I'm traveling. Like, I'm right. not taking these photos in my house. So by stepping foot out my door, I'm traveling. So anything that I take <laughs> yeah. falls underneath this umbrella that I'm not putting too tight of a space on myself for that I like reason. It. <laughs> by you definition. You, yeah. You've redefined it. That's good. Yeah. If I'm taking photos in my house, I'm not a travel photographer. But everything else, I'm traveling somewhere, whether it's around the block or across the world. You know, if you take if you start taking pictures inside your house, then just say you're an architecture. <laughs> yes, seriously, interior, interior Still photographer. Life. <laughs> yeah, lifestyle. So oh, okay, so so you started shooting film, and <laughs> is it always has it all been on that one camera? Um, up to this or, point, or did you go down the film rabbit hole? I mean, I have um, definitely. Um, uh, everything up to this point primarily has been shot on that that camera that belonged to my dad. I actually bought a second camera identical to that one just to have backup um Mm -hmm. partly to give my girlfriend the opportunity to take pictures if she wants to if i'm dragging her out into the mountains to take photos i'm like here take your own photos like it'll be fun to see what you take and develop um and then also if that's not the case to have two cameras loaded with film at any time because if you're like running gun shooting if you're not i mean at this point i think i'm getting a lot better at loading film like without having to really overthink it but to start it was definitely a chore like figuring out like am i doing this right, right. um had a few roles that did not go right that i thought i was shooting the whole time and came back completely blank so those are images yeah. i'll i'll never see again um yeah. but yeah um to answer your question like yes everything's been shot on the AE1 i bought a second one so stuff's been shot on that and then recently i made a big investment in the Mamiya 7, which is um, a medium, a medium format camera that people, I mean, all over the film world are just like, that's one of those like Holy grail cameras, um, which has been a good challenge for me. And I've picked Nathan Bauman's head a bunch, picked his brain, just like, you know, this is my first real range finder camera where I'm trying to like learn how to focus and set things up and use like this 
the metering within the camera and, and first medium format camera ever. Like it's, I've come to him with a lot of very like noobish, like inexperienced, like how do I load this film? Like how do I make yeah. sure I'm doing this right? Like what, what settings do you use? How do you like, how do you shoot the way you shoot? Because I, I want to try and experiment, but also not come back with a bunch of like terrible rolls of film. Um, so yeah, up to this point, it's been the AE one. I just got some scans back from my first few rolls on the Mamiya yesterday. And, uh, for the most part, they're great. Like there's some that are underexposed or some that are out of focus, but there's a handful of images in there that I love, um, that I'm actually going to be putting in my next drop for Byway of water. So I'm excited to oh, that's cool. be throwing some medium format in with the 35 mil and kind of add a little bit of, uh, you could definitely tell the difference. It's almost yeah. like the Mamiya stuff's almost like so sharp. You think it's digital. <laughs> it's like, right. it's, it's pretty wild, but I'm, I'm super excited because I was shooting that stuff like pretty, uh, I had some doubts, like, am I doing this right? And to then right. get scans back and see that you like nailed some shots gives you that confidence to move forward and be like, all right, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to keep Films rolling with this. always like that. Oh yeah. I it's mean, humbling. It's, it's super humbling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've had that's, some major it, failures. Well, and it's interesting. So I, um, I think I had, I think you, you had at least liked, or I knew you saw it, but mm -hmm. I, I've had a Hasselblad medium format body for, I want to say eight years, something cool. like that. Yeah. And I, the lens crapped out and was unrepairable at mm -hmm. one point. So I got rid of it and I've, the, the camera's been sitting for a few years, yeah. no lens, no nothing. And I just got a new lens for it about, about three weeks ago. Awesome. So I, I currently have my first role in it. Nice. I have one, I have one exposure left and then I'm going to send that off to get it developed. Nice. Um, That's exciting. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a sucker for me. I mean, I, I love medium format and I, I have, and I, I think I at some point wound up sharing and putting out some landscape um, stuff that was taken on 35 millimeters. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I switched to, as soon as I started shooting medium format, I was just done with 35 millimeters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think the only saving grace for me is going to be the fact that you get so many more exposures on a roll oh, of 35. Totally. But like when I go out and shoot, I have like a peak design sling with both 35 millimeters in there loaded. And then I have the yeah. Mamiya around my neck. So it's just like, I'm just shooting, you know, like Locked I'll, and loaded. I'll, I'll take one, one trip on the ferry and come back with three, three rolls of 35 and at least like three rolls of, of a one twenty shot. And I'm like, cool. Oh, wow. Like just, uh, <laughs> just running around, like just trying to get as much as I can and then sift through and pick, pick the winners. So it's, yeah. um, it's expensive, but it's fun. And I'm just completely obsessed. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I'm, <laughs> I've gone through seasons like that and, and it's interesting because I, I got five rolls developed that have been sitting for at least three years. Cool. <laughs> Which That's was amazing. weird. Like, I don't know why I didn't develop them. They ended up having some issues. A few of them had issues where the backing paper, you could see the backing paper through the exposure. Mm. So it kind of, it kind of ruined them. So I'm going to have to fix some of them in Photoshop because the picture is okay. too good to just abandon. But yeah, um, I just posted one yesterday, okay. yesterday that was, I'm have to go. that was, yeah, it's a, that that I shot that it's been sitting on a roll of film for almost five years. Is that on your I, Twitter? It is. Yeah. It's okay. a, you know, you know how Twitter works. You know how Twitter works. It's, it's deep. <laughs> I posted a lot of shit yesterday. So <laughs> yeah, it's one, one day is a, quite a few scrolls. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's kind of fun how they hold up. And I, there's a, there's a photographer that I interviewed last year who is a film photographer exclusively who, mm -hmm. who talked about the idea that he enjoys shooting on film so much because it's a mature technology. Hmm. Um, and his name is Ben Horn. Um, mm -hmm. 
Ben is no longer part of the social media world. He deleted his Twitter and his Instagram accounts. Um, Interesting. <laughs> I think I think it's because he got in a fight with some people over NFTs. But all that <laughs> not, being said, his not work surprising. Is, um, yeah, his work is amazing. And but he said that mature technology. The photo huh. you take now is the same as what you could have taken twenty years ago on film. Like, there's no yeah. the equipment is exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, all the cameras that we own are relatively, I mean, for lack of a better word, they're old, you know? Like, the, oh, yeah. I think the Mamiya was made in like the 80s, if I'm not yep. mistaken. So, I mean, I so. luckily I found one that was like pretty mint, you know, it's in great condition. There's no major, like, there's no light leaks. The lens is tack sharp. Yeah. Um, obviously comes with a pretty penny. You know, I ordered it from yeah. Japan. So that was, oh, yeah. you know, a process in itself, getting it through customs and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah. um, no, totally. It's, it's not a new camera by any means, but it's yeah, it's the, the picture I took on Portra 400 last week is the same picture someone took on Portra 400 30 years ago. So yeah, it's uh, it's it feels timeless to me. So I was going to ask you that. So what is so obviously your your Bali uh, work is black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, the the by way of water is that what it's called? Am I mm-hmm. get that right? Yep. What, what are you shooting that on Portra 400? Uh, a lot of it, yeah. Um, yeah. I actually have made. Well, yeah. What are your point. What are your films? What do you like? Gosh, I mean, I, I definitely think Portrait Four Hundred is my go-to. Like if, on a desert island, if you're stuck with one stock of film, that's probably what I'd choose. Um, that's all I've shot so far on the Mamiya, so I don't okay. have any reference point to anything it's else. It's hard to go wrong with that Portrait Four Hundred on media. It's great. Me. Yeah, I think I'll probably buy some black and white film for the Mamiya, um, just to get some, you know, just to get some experience with other stocks, but. I've shot with Ultramax, uh, Kodak Gold. Uh, I think I did mm-hmm. a roll of Ektachrome, like the the slide film, right? Um, which will be in that new collection drop. There, you know, kind of has like a bluish a bluish tint to it, which right. I feel like kind of suited the vibe on some of these kind of overcast, like cloudy Seattle ferry ride days. So um, they're definitely some of the moodier shots. Okay. Um, but I think like you know I've been experimenting just with all sorts of Kodak stocks, but at the end of the day, I'd, I'd say I'd probably go with Portra. Um, it's it's really hard to beat it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's a great, great stock, but, you know, still experimenting. I've been making it a point to also, for each image and by way of water, add in the description, like what camera I used and, and what oh, stock it was. Just for any of the film heads that are out there, like, oh, like what stock was? Some people could probably look at it and know exactly what it is, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah. So, no, um, I, that's, that's totally, that's, I think that's, that's exactly how everybody processes. That's yeah. how everybody thinks about it. Yeah. So it takes I, a while. That's, and, that's why I'm going to go pick up some, uh, some of my negatives today just to be able to add, um, that information to that, that drop before it goes out. So, no, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I, um, the it's, it's, uh, I, when I went and picked up my new lens, I actually bought it from a local store, which mm-hmm. was, it, it popped up on their website and I, it was on the weekend and I was just like, Oh, Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm buying that. I've been, <laughs> yeah. I've been waiting for it for a while. Sure. <laughs> And when I went and picked it up, I was like, well, I got to buy some film too. And I, one of my go-tos being, you know, doing a lot of landscape work has mm-hmm. always been the Ektar 100. Yeah. So I, sh- I've shot a lot of that. So I bought a couple rolls of that and a couple rolls of Portra 400. And nice. the one thing I've never done is I've never shot slide film. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to experiment with that here in the next month or so. Yeah. Um, I may have just booked a trip yesterday. Cool. <laughs> so, so that's I'm exciting. Be, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 going to Death Valley next month. Cool. And I'm I, I miss think Death I'm gonna, Valley. 
Oh, I, I've never been there as a photographer. I've driven through, you know, as a tourist when I was much younger. Yeah. Um, but didn't, but it was like, oh, this is kind of fun, you know, and I, but I wasn't really paying attention. And I had a friend that he has a, a work event that he has to be at in Las Vegas. And I just said, hey, you want me to fly down there and meet with you? He's like, <laughs> yeah, cool. So we booked some hotel rooms. I called another buddy and go, do you want to, do you want to go? And he's like, yeah. So we Sick. bought all of our tickets last night. So nice. Yeah. I have I a, think I, I have a Death Valley shot on my website. Um, if yeah. you still have it pulled up, it's the one of I my, my buddy in the salt, the salt flats, like kind of bending down to pick up something off the ground, but it's kind of a, a big wide, wide angle lens shot. Yeah. Um, it's cool. I had a, uh, I had a really good experience right before I went to Death Valley. It kind of, I think kind of changed my, my viewpoint as a photographer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I met with, I met Chris Burkhard. Um, I was going to ask you, cause you have a portrait of gosh. him in your in your portrait section. I do. Sorry, my mom just called, so it cut me off. I'm going to text her and tell her not to call me back. It's funny, <laughs> this happened when I was on with David, too. Um, so, yeah, thanks, so mom. I, I cruised. Yeah, thanks. Always interrupting these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> She's batting a thousand. Um, so, I cruised down when I was in California. I cruised down to Chris's shop or his gallery in Pismo. Um, it was right after his birthday, so I brought him a box of like vegan donuts from this cafe in Oakland because I think uh-huh. he was vegan at the time. And we sat there and chatted. He ate the whole box of donuts while we were standing there talking. He's like, "Dude, like, don't ever bring me these ever again. Like, these are like, my vice." <laughs> and uh, we had a good conversation, hung out for a bit, like got that at Glacier's End book, had him sign it, um, and then took off and headed home. And then a couple weeks later, he DMs me. He goes, "What are you?" what are you doing? T- like, what are you doing tomorrow night? I'm like, you tell me, like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. When like, Chris I'm, Bart- Burkhardt yeah, asks, right. Yeah. You're I'm like, like I, I'm yeah. doing whatever you're suggesting. Yeah. Like, am I going to, he's like, I was thinking about, um, reviewing a portfolio of like a up and coming photographer. And like, I like the vibe that we had the other day. Like, do you want to come back down to the shop and we could do it in person on Instagram live? And I was like, absolutely. Like, you know, 2 million, 2 point something million followers. I'm a, right. a nobody. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, let me know when and where. Um, and then like all the shut, the lockdowns really started to happen. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we ended up canceling the in-person aspect of it, but did a portfolio review over Instagram live um, the morning that I was supposed to leave to go down to Death Valley and mm. explore like Highway 395, that area. So yeah had this great portfolio review from him where he was kind of giving me this, this insight of like, you know, I like these shots because of this, like definitely focus on this, this, and this. So Mm -hmm. I went literally got off that call with him, got straight in the car and drove to death Valley with this like entirely new perspective on just like using things for scale shooting with like a story with a purpose. And, um, I mean, it was a major like shift in my mentality as a landscape photographer and just went straight into Death Valley with it. Ended up like camping out there one night, shooting all day and then driving west to 395, like endured a snowstorm in like Lone Pine, woke up in the morning for sunrise in Alabama Hills. And it was just like went down to Mammoth Lakes. Like it was just this like three day trip where I just felt like as a landscape photographer, like this whole new world had opened up. Um, so I'll always have like these amazing memories of, of that time, even though, you know, obviously the world was shutting down and things were getting pretty scary, but 
I was just out in the middle of nowhere and like shooting photos and, and just kind of having the time of my life in this kind of weird period for the world. But I'll yeah. always remember that Death Valley trip very fondly. Oh, that's awesome. I love yeah, that backstory. It was, it was pretty wild. One, it's, it's so interesting. I um, have never met Chris myself. Um, he's so a really I'm nice jealous. dude. <laughs> well, that's everything I've heard is that he's like the real deal. Um, oh, yeah. One of the things I, I purchased his business to photography workshop last year. Was that the moment one? Um, moment. It was the, like um, the Alex Stroll wild, thing. Wi- wildest. Yes. That's it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I did too. <laughs> uh, I bought a, I bought a couple of uh, workshops from them, but that one in particular is it's so good. Um, mm-hmm. And, and from, for me, I don't know, you know, we've, we've talked offline a little bit about what your career is and I will get, I would love to ask you more about that, but sure. like for me, I'm, I'm out hustling, trying to find clients to hire me to take pictures. That's my, mm-hmm. that's my day gig. I, I have, you know, lighting kits. I've, you know, th- this is what I do. It's, it's a lot of, you know, people send me crap and I'll take pictures of them in my home studio. I'll go to their, their place of business. I'll, you know, we'll do group headshot sessions, mm-hmm. but my, my real passion, the thing I'm hoping to do is to take photos that are art that I really like. And mm-hmm. sell, you know, sell that, that concept to a business and, you know, be able to go do lifestyle work for them. Sure. And that's basically what Chris is, you know, w- what that tutorial is about. It's about how do you market yourself as a photographer? How do you become somebody that people go, oh, I got to hire him because he makes the photos that he makes the kind of photos I, that we want to represent our brand. Totally. And I, it's so valuable. I really need to watch it again. Um, I've already watched it twice, <laughs> but it's, it's <laughs> yeah, not just I'd love teaching to, to do it. stuff, but it's also inspiring. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's he's at the very end. Like it, if you were to boil Chris down to one thing, I think he's inspiring. And I think that's something yeah. that's super important for photographers is to see like, you know, this dude used to just go shoot surfing spots in, in SoCal at, because that's what yeah. he liked doing. And then, you know, was in Surfer Mag and shooting for Apple and making short films and all this it just kind of became what it did. But it's because at the end of the day, he was creating stuff he was passionate about and inspired by and yeah. finding a way to develop his own style within that, that people were going to want that maybe could be replicated by some people, but it's just, it's, it's not him, you know? And that's yeah. at the end of the day, like you don't want a Chris Burkhard impersonator. You want, you want it from him. Because it well, just carries yeah, exactly. more value, you know? Well, and that's the one thing that I found very interesting. I I have another podcast that I record that I've recorded with a few buddies mm-hmm. and just like one guy that's from Seattle and a couple of guys from Portland. And we have they would always, you know, it was like uh, take a take a shot when if 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 Dan ever mentions Chris Burkhard. That was kind <laughs> of the, the ongoing sure. joke. Yeah. But I've always felt like there are a lot of people trying to they there's people who they look at him and they're like, that's, that's my dream career. Mm-hmm. I want to be, I want to be Chris Burkhardt. And I'm just like, most people have no concept of what Chris Burkhardt actually does to make a living. Sure. And I, so I think it's interesting that he puts out this, this business thing to talk about. I'm, he's not just a guy taking pictures all the time. Yeah. There's, there's so much more work to it. And there's so much work that pays the work that pays the bills. People don't ever see. Sure. It's, it's, it's never going to have his name attached to it, you know? Yeah. That, I love that, that he, he really leaned into almost like, um, like recession proofing his business, which I think yeah, is yeah. super important having those like multiple streams of, of income because like the day I went down to see him at his gallery, he had just canceled 
a trip to Iceland, you know, for, yeah. for whatever it was going to be. His and 140th trip. Yeah. Yeah. One of many <laughs> trips to Iceland. Making but, up a number. Yeah. Yeah. But that was before he was just starting to cancel trips left and right for different campaigns and things he probably yeah. had lined up. And that's where all of a sudden him having this, um, you know, having prints on the side and having speaking engagements and all these different other things mm-hmm. that he had already dabbled with was kind of him prepping for one of these things or multiple things turning off. And I think that's important for photographers is to know exactly. that like, you know, if NFTs just disappear tomorrow, like how are you making money? You know, if you, if you lean full yeah. on into this, like what are you going to do? You know? Well, and, and I told somebody this yesterday, we have a, um, I'm in a discord server for a, a group that, that we recently formed. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we were chatting about, there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff that happened over the last couple of days with, sure. uh, with rights and selling the rights to your images. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that came up, and this is something I've been thinking about kind of behind the scenes and I haven't really said it succinctly, Sure, but I, I think of NFTs as simply a way to sell your photos. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen is, you know, in the past there was prints that, you know, you could sell prints, you could sell stock, you could be a workshop leader, you could, you know, be an influencer. And now we have NFTs, which is a way to sell essentially digital prints. Mm-hmm. And I, the way I think about it is if you're going to be a good long-term photographer, if you actually intend to have a career and and want to, and forget if it even, if, forget if photography is even your way of making money. If sure. you're going to keep being a photographer for the next 20 or 30 years, you can't wrap all everything up in like one version of what you do. And yeah. Chris's thing was about money, right? You can't wrap all of your money into one particular way of selling imagery. But mm-hmm. I think as a photographer, it's good to also go, hey, what are the other ways that I can, what are the outlets for me as a photographer? You know, whether yeah. it's I shoot film, whether it's I'm shooting advertising work or I'm taking portraits or writing know, a children's book. Yeah. Like, there you go. Yeah. Writing a children's know, book or, or directing his, films. Yeah. That was his best project is the kid's book he wrote for Chris. Like yeah. that. And that's yeah. like, you see all these photographers and 99.99999% of them are not even thinking like, what if I make a children's book right now? Right. And right. it's just one of those things where if you're selling books, that's a stream of income. If you're doing engagement, like speaking engagements, that's another form. Yeah. So it's just having these different layers to yourself. And like you said, not putting all of your eggs in one basket, because what if that basket gets dropped and everything breaks inside it? What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, and and also, I mean, this is a way to think about it. If all of your energy goes toward Instagram, what happens Mm -hmm. when Instagram disappears? If all of your money goes towards NFTs, what happens when, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm being facetious here, but what happens when (laughs) Ethereum is gone? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but what happens when the next thing comes and everything is housed there and you haven't invested any of your time or energy on anything else. Yeah. You know, no, so your photography has to be, it has to live outside of those things for as sure. A, as a, it's an art form. It's not just a thing you sell. Well, and that's something I've been kind of harping on lately too, is just like reminding people to get out and, and create still because right. there's, um, you know, I think there's a lot of photographers that aren't shooting much tr- trigger warning, trigger warning. We're about to talk NFTs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For anyone that is in the NFT space, they they kind of there's this FOMO where it's like, oh my gosh, if I'm not in this space, like am I gonna miss something important? Like, oh, do yeah. I need to be here? Do I need to do this? So there's so many of us that are living on Twitter all day, but at the end of the day, like we don't have anything new. We're like, well shit, like 
I sold this collection. I sold this collection out. I've gone through my external hard drives. I'm out of content. Like now what? <laughs> now I need to yeah. go shoot again. And you don't want to be shooting through the lens of, oh, I'm shooting this to be an NFT. Like at the end of the right. day, I can make a byway of water book out of the images I'm shooting in this film work and be happy with it and just be like, hey, yeah. I made this book. It's 30 bucks. If you buy it, great. If not, like that's fine. It's just something that's out there. But I'm not shooting this work for NFTs. I'm shooting this work because I'm a creator and like it's something yeah. I have to do. And that's why like this week, like I, you know, damn well, like I host a ton of Twitter spaces and quickly kind of fell into that role of someone who gets DMs every day. Like, can we host a, an artist spotlight? I'm, I'm doing my drop. Can you host it? Can you host it? I'm like, hey, oh I'm gosh. guilty. I've, I've DM'd you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but at least like we know each other. Like we've talked, but yeah, yeah. I don't even go down that tirade, but I had to take a week off and people started asking like, yo, can we do it like next week? I'm like, I'm not doing anything till October 4th. Like I'm taking yeah. at least this week off to just be open and, and get in another space if I want to, like do a podcast if I want to go shoot. Like I'm going to go yeah. shoot Friday because it's going to be sunny. I'm going to go hop on another ferry and shoot and like run some errands. And I just needed to free up that time because as a creator, we have to create. Otherwise, a part of us starts to like, I start to feel like a little depressed or I'm like, I haven't shot. Yeah. I have these cameras that are just like sitting here loaded with film that are collecting dust I'm looking Use at, I'm, yeah, and I'm seeing people <laughs> posting stuff on Twitter. And I'm like, I don't have anything new. Like, I just, why am I just sitting here soaking up everybody else's shit when I should be out creating my own? Um, well, and I think that's that's it, right? I mean, that's, yeah. man, you, you hit the nail on the head there. It's, and this is one thing I also haven't said out loud anywhere, but there's an sure. awful lot of consumerism yeah. that's, that's wrapped up in all of this. And it's, it's hard to feel like, you know, you put something out there and if, if there's no interest in it, then you go, ah, well, am I worth anything? Sure. And, and the reality is like, just because it's not the hit of the minute doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not valuable. Um, well, and that's, that's where I'm at now too. And it's, it's a, it's a place of privilege, you know, granted, like if I was brand new to Twitter trying to like get my name out and I finally put out a collection and no one gave a shit, like I would feel pretty bad about it, but mm-hmm. Also being in this space long enough, like you and I have to see like collections are slowing down a little bit. It's not like I dropped this and it sold out in 15 seconds. It's like, I mean, I haven't said this at all. I, I just announced that there's going to be a collection coming out and it says coming soon, but I'm going to put together the last details of it and just randomly drop it. Cause I don't want to hype up a time, a place right. and have a gas war because that's the latest topic is like, I tried to buy this piece and I didn't get it. And I lost a hundred bucks. Like that sucks. I don't yeah. want that. So like, I also don't want to do reserves. I don't want to do this, but there's that consumerism where it's like, what's the best way to sell this work? And at the end of the day, I just want to get it out. And if a surprise drop doesn't sell it and it sits for a couple of days and people get it too, and they will, that's fine. But I do see the other side of it where people are working tirelessly and feeling that FOMO to connect with collectors and other artists to try and get that extra exposure because this is like their first dip and they want to make make an impact. I've got a rant about that. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's it's really funny to me that 15 seconds is the thing that we, the one we keep landing on, right? Sure. Everybody yeah. talks about dropping in 15. We all know who we're talking about here, right? Yeah. There's a guy. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I found interesting, and I, I, I don't, I'm not going to mention names. Sure. But there, but but I think it's been super interesting to watch how things have grown, and I've been around since May around mm-hmm. NFTs, but didn't really get serious about it till like really early August, uh, sure. maybe right at the end of July. 
It's a good time. Um, and what I've, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a good time and I've sold a total of four NFTs mm-hmm. personally. Um, th- and I have a lot of other stuff I put out that has been crickets, right? Sure. One of the things that has been interesting is that everybody looks at that 15 second sellout and they all aspire to that idea, but nobody is really thinking about why it happened. Yeah. And, and I think it's, uh, I got a little nerdy and I pulled up, uh, you know, ether scan <laughs> and I, I, and I dug in a little bit on one. Sure. Of those. I mean, that's what it's like, for. That's what it's for. I was like, what happened here? Yeah. And there's it, this, this was a collection of 50 pieces mm-hmm. and there were four people who each bought three pieces. Mm-hmm. Each of them were the guy's friends from Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then there were five other people who each bought two pieces and all of those pieces were pre-reserved to those people. Mm-hmm. So almost half of the entire collection was pre-sold before they ever dropped it, mm-hmm. and they hyped the shit out of it for like a week. Mm-hmm. And then when you looked at all the other buyers, it's literally a whole bunch of people from Instagram. And this is yeah. for a person who has a five hundred thousand following on Instagram. Mm-hmm. The rest of us can't compete with that. Like yeah. I don't have five hundred thousand people that follow me that will show up and kind of agree to be part of that. Sure. So there's a there's a sense of FOMO that everybody has, but it's it's good to understand that like it was marketed really well yes. in ways that make it look like it's super popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's there's things that are being sold. And not to say that that's not to say that's wrong. I mean, do what you're gonna do, but like for the rest of us, realize that you're you don't have that following. When we I've heard people say like Eric Rubens has said, hey, you know, it's we're all starting from the ground zero, but that's only kind of true. And, and you, yeah. you have to understand that some people have a massive following and they have a built-in audience when they, sh- even when they show up here with zero followers, people that's find true. them real quick and go, Oh, that's that guy from Instagram. You, we got to follow him. So hundred yeah, percent. I think, uh, the other thing too, like, I mean, let's, let's not beat around, <laughs> beat around the bush, but like calf is someone who has had a ton of success because of herself as a person, her work and her marketing. You know, oh, yeah. like I remember very fondly and very clearly when she put out her first hype video for something on Super Rare and it just like broke Twitter. It was just like, holy shit, like this Genesis collection she's doing on Super Rare with this like amazing promo video was far beyond us just being like putting out a tweet being like, coming out this time check, on this date, here's a picture. Check out my, and, check out my pics. <laughs> yeah, it, it was all of a sudden just like, holy shit, this is like a movie trailer. Like there's music, yeah. there's voiceover there's like special effects and that was just something that i think got people's attention and you know good for her but also like yeah i i wouldn't want to have to have that pressure of always one upping myself in that situation either because that's it's tough she keeps raising the raising the bar for herself and everyone else but like until i put out a cinematic trailer for my work i don't have that standard of having to do that (laughs) so (laughs) i'm not going to do it till i absolutely have to but there is, there is well, it's a not your brand of, either. Like that's, no. that's, and I think that's the thing that, that's worth thinking about is that some people, there, there is a certain kind of brand that they have built. And Absolutely. For, for her, it makes sense to do that. Like yeah. that's, and her it's, brand and it's, is built around kind of that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's proven to be effective and, and lucrative for her. So it's like, obviously yeah. she's going to put in the time and effort to do that moving forward because it's part of the package, but there's that huge part of marketing that, you know, I think a lot of, people moving into NFTs don't really understand how to market themselves. And 
myself included, like I kind of just throw shit at a wall and hope something sticks. But like I'm kind of following the same market rollout for this collection as I did for my Bali drop. And if Bali sold in three hours, this might take three weeks. Like the, maybe the market, maybe the marketing model has already crumbled and, and moved on. But like, so we'll you, see. Well, you have, you have a, a thing you've been doing. And I, I love that you, you, you put it in a tweet. I think it's pinned, right? Maybe. Is, still, is it is my, it is it my, pinned? is it my roadmap? Yeah. 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 Um, it is, it is at, forever uh, pinned, I believe. I will, I'll just read it because I think it's, uh, it says, in case you didn't know by now, this is my roadmap. Mm-hmm. Lift up other artists, create more art. That's it. That's the roadmap. Yeah. That seems, and I, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I think that is, is working for you. That's mm-hmm. that your method has not been to shill your own work. I mean, you, you occasionally post, Hey, I did this new thing or, Hey, there's some secondaries available. Um, to buy my pieces, but yeah. this has really worked for you. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah. I and mean, or, or how did you, or how did you land into that, that role, that, um, that MO, you know, that, that way of being involved in the community? Yeah. I honestly, I think it goes back to like middle school and high school, just being that kid that didn't really fit in anywhere. I was like an athlete, but also played music, but also like the band geek, but also like, you know, I was always the kid that got along with everybody and bounced around during lunch to be like, I'm going to go say hi to the jocks. I'm going to hang off my music buddies. I'm going to go like talk baseball. You know, like I've always kind of been that dude that kind of floats, but isn't really like, I'm not an outdoor explorer. I'm not a street photographer. I'm not this. So in this space, like a while back, there was someone in the community who got ousted who was a big pillar in the photography community who is now no longer part of it and i kind of just at that moment stepped into kind of taking the community and and trying to put it on my back it's just being like Hmm. you know what this person's gone he was great did some shitty things got called out everyone moved on he's canceled which you know feel how you will about cancellation right right. i think you should talk about things and, and not just get rid of things but that's a whole yeah. nother podcast, but I kind of stepped in and you know what? I started hosting spaces and connecting with people. And you know, sometimes it would just be me laying in my hammock in the backyard being like, I'm just hanging out, like come chat. And it quickly became oh, like those pe- the days. Yeah. People <laughs> popping in from like <laughs> India or Austria. <laughs> it's my, my hammock's probably full of water. Um, you know, either someone like from India or Australia or New Zealand or wherever popping back. Hey man, like, you know, I'm new to this space, like just kind of curious, like how, how do I get involved? And quickly became very obvious to me that the quickest, not the quickest, the best way to make an impact and stick around the space is to get involved in the community. And that's not popping into a space the first week you're on Twitter and saying, Hey, you know, I, I want to show my work. Can I share my projects? It's like, no, like, right. We've never talked before. I don't even know who you are. Why are you coming in here and trying to sell something when we, I don't even know who you are yet or where you're from or what you're doing. Like you have to take the time and get to know people on a human level. And I think as far as my roadmap with lifting up other artists and creating more art, I think I just found myself in a position where, you know, you had people like D's who host these artist spotlights and how important they are to get other people who may not know of someone's work into a space to be able to hear them talk about themselves and share their work and maybe find something in that hour and a half that they can grasp onto or just be like, Hey, you know what? Like Dan was a cool dude. Like 
I've seen his work in my timeline. I've seen him commenting on the post, but like I've never heard him talk before. And in hearing him talk about his work, I feel like I know him better and I have that connection. And right. we're at a stage now with Twitter spaces where artist spotlights are starting to feel a little bit tired where it's like, let me right. get you in a space. Tell me about your work. Tell me about each piece. Hopefully we'll sell some, get people up on stage to ask you questions or just get up here to compliment you. And then we wrap it. And coming back from this break, I kind of want to lean in more into just kind of co-hosting spaces with an artist and less, less like, Hey, let's talk specifically about work. We're like, let's talk about it, but let's also talk about some other things you're passionate about. Like, um, you know, a specific organization you like to help out or, or why you shoot photography or why you shoot what you do. And if people want to come in here and ask about your collection, great. If people learn about your work here and they buy your work, great. But like, let's kind of try something else so that it gets away from this kind of format that, we quickly mm-hmm. quickly found ourselves in in the last couple of months with all these collections. Yeah. Um, but just lifting up other artists, man, like it, everyone needs someone to give them that that step and that little boost. And I feel, you know, if anybody's resharing my work or quote tweeting my work or buying my work, like I I can't help but feel the um not obligation, but like the the responsibility to do the same. Like I don't feel like mm-hmm. anyone should help lift me up and do anything for me without it being returned in some way, shape or form. And that's just me from like a a morality and ethical place. It's just, I can't sit back and let people do my work for me without returning in some way, shape or form. So, well, because if you do, if you, if you don't, then it's not really a community. It's just, uh, no, it's a a buzzword. (laughs) It's a buzzword at that point, you know, like you have to live it. That's the part that's really, yeah. It's weird. There's a lot of that not happening in this space. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, I think, and then there's people who are, you know, you find somebody that you admire and then you, you know, you try to promote them with the hope that they'll notice and promote you back. I think, I think mm-hmm. I see a lot of that happening as well. For sure. Absolutely. Um, I saw somebody, I saw somebody uh, post about that and they're like, Hey, um, why are you quote retweeting me? Why don't you know, <laughs> like, why are yeah. you, you know, like they were kind of calling it out and I, I kind of had issue with it. I was like, because they want to comment on it. They want to say something. But um, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, there's a lot there of is... things. <laughs> Go ahead. People assign nefarious uh, intentions to things that I think oftentimes aren't nefarious. Yeah, I know people. I think it'd be great to see people start to give benefit of the doubt more often than not. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of something that I've noticed from hosting spaces too is that there is almost this, um, like, a code of ethics or like manners or etiquette within Twitter spaces that people that have been in it for a while are well aware of that people who are new to the space just might not know. And yeah. like, if you're, if you're new and you see that we're just hanging out, talking NFTs, you might think that's an open forum for you to come in and show your work where it's like, no, man, like we're just hanging out. Like this isn't that, but if you're yeah. new here, you may not have known that. So we're not going to completely trash you for it because that's not, that's not going to help move the space forward. It's not going to help get yeah. someone new in. It's just going to be very gatekeeping and feel kind of gross, <laughs> yeah. you know? So but- anec- anecdotally, yesterday, I uh-huh. was uh, we were hosting a space, kind of our first space for the photo collective. Yeah, I saw that. And, and, and it was a blast. Um, uh, Tara and Jared and uh, Bryn and uh, Jen and, and uh, Jordan were all co-hosting, and I was in there too because I'm... Mm-hmm. 
I'm kind of the ringleader. I, sure. <laughs> I'm I made the Discord and the Twitter account, and basically yeah, yeah. kind of I kind of heard the cats. Um, they're sure. all amazing people, but somebody has to, you know, keep kind it of push on things around. Yeah, keep yeah, it on yeah. Track. And so I was in there, and we had this 12 year old kid show up in the space and start like talking about their work and saying like, Hey, I'm thinking about minting these. What do you guys think? And it was kind of funny because it kind of derailed the conversation, Yeah, but we just rolled with it. And we were all like, tell us about your work. Let's go. Cause this is yeah. a 12 year old kid. Yeah. Um, young crypto, I think is what, what his, I'm guessing him <laughs> sounded like a him. Sure. But it was a crack up just because you go, well, this person obviously doesn't, you know, he or she doesn't know the ethics of the, you know, how, what are the expectations? Mm-hmm. But we're like, okay, but let's just warm welcome the person. Yeah. yeah. They'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Because if you guys make a good impact, it's not going to affect you guys in any negative way. But right. it makes us look like nice people. We, yeah, we're nice and, to a 12 year old, right? <laughs> yeah. And they might go into another room at some point and get completely shit on. And that's, that's not your doing. It's not something you have to live with. And if that's how right. that person in that room decides to handle it, like that's, that's their thing. But like, I, I feel like there is an importance to just realize that like, we were all new in this space, not that long ago. And it's moving so fast that it's hard for anyone to keep up. So if someone's coming in and, and they have the courage to get on stage and, and try and put themselves out there to this group of people that who knows how they view you, they might think like, Oh my God, I finally got on stage with so-and-so like, this is my chance. Right to shit on them in that moment is just going to be absolutely oh, yeah. detrimental to them in this space. And as an artist, potentially, and I don't want to be that person. And I don't think anybody should be that person. I think that it's important to just kind of guide them along the right road of kind of what we've all been doing to get to the point we're at, because it's, it's a time thing. It's a patience thing. And it takes investing yourself as a person into the community and actually getting to know people, make connections because without that, no one cares. Right. Right. So let me, let me, let me pivot a little bit here and we're, 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 we've been talking for a while here. So I (laughs) want to be, want to be sensitive to your time. I'm guessing you probably have space. You got to get off here and go host. I would have a hard out in like an hour and 20 minutes to be honest. So I think we'll we'll be good. I think we'll be good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, so I am curious that this space we're in, and like you said, we apologized up front half an hour ago, right? Or 20 minutes ago. We're going to talk about NFTs here. Yeah. NFTs. They change like every five minutes, right? I mean, yeah. What's popular? What? Who's talking about who? What drama is happening? What format? You know, all of that changes so fast. Yeah. That when you, if you're gone for if you're gone for a day, it feels like you've been gone for a week. If you're gone for two days, it feels like you've been gone for a month. It's true. That being said, we've just talked about the fact that you're shooting on your dad's old camera. Mm-hmm. That you have a website of all this work. You've spent time talking to Chris Burkhard doing a um portfolio review mm-hmm. what is what is your i know your roadmap on twitter mm-hmm. but as a photographer what are you hoping to do where are you hoping to go with things what do you want to experiment with gosh i mean right now i just want to continue to just get better you know whether that's digitally or on film because i i know that the thing about photography is I don't think you ever master it. I think there's always something new or something that you could be improving on. Um, Mm -hmm. whether it's, whether it's learning how to pose a model or, um, how to just get better compositions or just experiment with different things. I think like for myself personally, like posing a model is something that I'm still not good at. So if I was doing a shoot with someone that I didn't know well, 
I have a hurdle to get over of trying to figure out like, okay, like how do I communicate with this person and make sure that mm-hmm. I'm getting them to look flattering and be comfortable and be getting the shots I need, but also not, you know, being awkward or weird or demanding. Like <laughs> right. there's just all these different things. So I would say like uh, Twitter, this whole NFT thing for me personally is my first real moment that I would consider myself having success um, in any way, shape or form of photography. And that's, purely from a sales standpoint, I, I think, you know, I was successful as a photographer when I sold my gear and bought a camera and got out there. That was a successful move in life, you know, but right, right. from a sales perspective, like NFTs have been, I've sold more NFTs and made more money doing that than I ever have selling prints or shooting family photos or doing any sort of brand work at all. But that doesn't mean I just want to become an NFT photographer. I think, right. you know, I'd like to, I love photo books. That's for me at the end of the day, like, if I could continue to shoot and improve and find new things that I feel passionate about and then put those into some sort of tangible physical book experience, like that's, that's what I want is just to have something to show for like, yo, this is, this is this first huge body work I ever made of a film. It's called by way of water. It's all these photos from the fairies. Like I'm super proud of it. And it's a time capsule piece. Um, But like, I think at the end of the day, I just want to have like freedom to kind of do what I want. And I feel like that's kind of the beautiful thing about NFTs. Like we touched on earlier, it's that, you know, your B-sides don't have to be B-sides anymore. You can do right. whatever you feel like is going to represent you as an artist the way that you want it to. And I think that's always what I want to maintain is just that sense of freedom to kind of do something creative, something that inspires me and never get caught doing something for something else besides like myself at the end of the day. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's great. I, I yeah. love that because it, it it is, I think being a photographer is, it's more than just a career. It's more than a, um, a hobby. Yeah. It, it's just kind of a way that you are. I think once you become a photographer, it's kind of hard to see the world the same way again. I was just going to say, like, I would, I think it would be so fascinating to just turn off like the photographer part of your brain for a week and just see how you see the world because I see everything as compositions now, you know, like yeah. it's like <laughs> everything I look at, I'm like, Hmm, like with this photograph, well, like, should I like right now I'm yeah. looking at like all these little raindrops on leaves in the tree outside the window. And I'm like, man, those would be like cool macro photos. Oh, if yeah. I could like, if I could get up there, <laughs> you know, or like yeah. the, the drops on the, on the branches, like I'm looking at it from a photographer's perspective and not just from like a human point of view. And you're right. right like once you, see things through a lens, a telephoto lens, an ultra wide lens, a fisheye, whatever the hell it is. Like you're never going back to just seeing things as a normie, like ever again. Um, (laughs) And it's just for better or worse. Like it's the same thing with like being a drummer. Like I, I'll never listen to music the same way. I'll never ever hear the guitars over the drums ever. (laughs) Or, Or like, I'll never notice like a backup vocal harmony before I notice like the, the shaker that's buried in the mix or something. And my yeah. girlfriend will be singing along the songs and be singing like these backup, like vocal parts. And I'm like, I never even heard that until now, until you like brought it out. Cause I was like focused on all this other stuff as a drummer. See, like it's, it I just was changes. Ma- I was a big, because I was a music major, I spent yeah. enough time like doing an- analysis on stuff that I'm always sure. like listening to all the little parts. Yeah. And in fact, what's weird is I've never been a bass player, but I, I always gravitated to bass lines. Yeah. I mean, when you hear a good bass line, like it's, 
good baselines make you notice them. I feel like, you know, like you can't I've always felt them. like, yeah. And I've always felt like if you compare, if you were to like, especially if you hear two versions of the same song, like a live version and the studio track, yeah, you can almost always like the better one is almost the better, almost always the better one with the better baseline. The one yeah. where the bass player is more in the pocket. Yeah. Because if the fills. bass player's in the pocket, <laughs> yeah. If the bass player's in the pocket, the drummer will lock in on that. If mm-hmm. they're not, then the whole thing will feel kind of stilted. Yeah, it's and kind of bass my, players, kind of my... they don't often do fancy shit in the studio unless it's like a band like Snarky Puppy where it's just like crazy yeah. <laughs> instruments going on. But like live, you'll and same thing with good drummers. Like they'll kind of keep it, you know, reined in for the for recording. But live, they'll they'll do some other stuff and cut loose a just, little bit. Yeah, and when bassists start to like kind of wander a little bit and do some bass fills, you're like, oh shit, like okay. Like I'm, I'm liking this version a lot because I'm used to the recorded version, but this one's got a little bit of spice on it. So, um, do you ever listen to this? Is we're veering off into music again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever listened to um, the John Mayer trio? Yeah, dude, Steve Jordan. Oh man, Steve He's, Jordan and P- Pino Palladino is the bass yeah. player. Yeah, so Steve Jordan's filling in for the Rolling Stones on their next tour for Charlie. Oh, cool, because yeah, Charlie passed. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, man, it might might be worth just going to see Steve playing with the stones because like it might not ever happen again. And yeah, that dude's a stud. Like I, I think the trio stuff is, is very overlooked for people that it, are oh, yeah, musicians, totally. you know? Well, and he didn't even, when it first came out, they didn't, even, John didn't even promote it that heavily. It was kind of yeah. opposite. It got like this quiet, quiet release and they're like, Hey, here's a thing. And I, I remember I got my hands <laughs> on it. I listened to it like, like, what the hell? Like, how did yeah. I, this is amazing. And yeah. The entire so cool. album, Pino Palladino was all over the place. Oh yeah, he just is nuts, and it's because they recorded the, fir- the that whole first album is all live. That's awesome. So it's it has a different vibe, and then but it's interesting to hear those same songs showing up in different different variations other places with different yeah. drummers and different bass players, right? <laughs> but those totally. ones are always the go to. Those are the those. I think he still uh, he still plays bass for John. I think in his band. Yeah, he he does kind of cool. off and on. He's got a couple different guys. The other mm-hmm. one that's really weird is that the John's original touring bass player was, gosh, what he was in a different band, um, and I can't remember who it is off the top of my head now. But um, yeah, it was one of those when I realized who he was, I was like, wait, he was in this other band. So everybody's <laughs> connected. Oh yeah, everybody's that's connected. it's a beautiful thing. Everyone's just playing with like he plays with the Grateful Dead now. Like that's sick. Oh yeah. Yeah, the, you know, every 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 spring he gets all fired up. He's like, "I'm practicing. It's uh, we're getting ready to go out on the road again, mm-hmm. playing that stuff." So, yeah, I'm a I'm a awesome. top opportunity music. I listen to just about everything. Um, yeah, like and my my kids will crack up. They're like, "You can't listen to country." I'm like, "Have you ever listened to Brad Paisley play guitar?" Because yeah, mean, seriously, guys, insane. Oh, yeah, and then you know, I, I could find somebody in every in every field and if, if i listen to pop country i'm always listening to those studio guitar players oh yeah i mean Just the studio musicians on a lot i mean that's the crazy thing when you see musicians start to blow up like someone like adele like she mm-hmm. sings but everybody else that's on that record are like the oh, best yeah. musicians on the planet and her touring band yeah. is like the best music and it's just like damn like yeah i want to go see adele because she's amazing but also i want to see her drummer you know and like yeah. i'm gonna see like one of the best like touring bass players on the planet and okay this like, might sound a little ridiculous singers. sure M- my wife is a huge celine dion fan she's great 
I've and I bought tickets to go see her in Vegas, and then it, she canceled. She got sick, and it got canceled. And then we we got refunded, and then we got bought tickets to be in Portland, and then she got sick and canceled. And we're still waiting for the next one. And I I had a friend that's a musician, and I, he's like, "How can you go see Celine Dion?" I'm like, "Dude, those guys on the stage are going to be amazing." Yeah, like that live band is going to be amazing. And oh, yeah, I they will, they will I'll, not I'll miss a single that. beat. Yeah, yeah, I'm they there for miss. the band. I'll listen. I'll listen to those guys in that band. They're going to rip it up. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, you start M- musicians to always manage to turn it into a musician music conversation. Exactly. There's, There's a lot of someone on stage music. that's worth it. <laughs> yeah, my podcasts are full of music references. So. Yeah, no, it's it creeps in your life when you're someone who's had such a, you know, music plays such a huge part in our lives, and some of us recognize it and some of us don't. But when you recognize it, it, it creeps its way into everything. You know, like yeah, even sure. as photographers, we're listening to something while we're editing and there's a reason why we chose that music you know it it kind of does something for us on a human level that kind of feeds into everything else like oh for sure even on a rainy day like i'm not I'm not gonna go listen to anything like super upbeat and popular today i'm probably gonna listen to something that's like depressing and slow and downbeat and you know like you, you need some decemberist today yeah i'm gonna go listen like the national and cry in my room there you or something. go there you go <laughs> well cool okay so um I want to ask you something before we uh, before we start wrapping things up here. Sure. Um, first of all, well, actually, I had a couple things. You you have a day job, right? Yes. Tell me about what briefly about that because I think it's, yeah, I think it's always great to 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 know like what is the context for what people are doing. Yeah. So I actually a couple of years ago, right about when the pandemic started, I got a job with a, a company called Dark Room, which is a platform for artists and photographers and digital artists to print their work and um, basically take all of the stress out of selling your work. So you, all you do is upload, set your prices and promote your work and Darkroom does everything else. And uh, Mm -hmm. I handle the customer success management side of it. So basically anything, (laughs) anything, (laughs) yeah, anything wrong with, a site or a print or a damaged shipment or anything um i usually have my hands on it's a very okay very small team which is great like i you know talk to anders and theo you know the co-founders all the time almost on a daily basis and you know we talk to a bunch of photographers and different artists that i look up to that are you know considering onboarding onto the site so that's always fun but just having a job that at the end of the day, again, circling back is, is helping people out, <laughs> you know, like right, right. trying to, trying to help you figure out why your, your ship shipment hasn't moved in nine days or why things are, aren't printed the way you want or why your profit wasn't as much as you thought, like just handling everything that comes my way from them. I understand like, I also want like a certain level of response and care from other people if I have an issue. And I think that's right. Something that, you know, having worked retail for years, I understand like the customer service side of things and people just want to be heard and treated well. So if you're willing to give someone the time of day, not be a robot responding to things and redirecting you to different places and actually hear someone's issue and help them, it goes a long way in creating like brand retention and, and, you know, customer success at the end of the day. So it's, uh, it's photography at the core, which is great. Um, I'm not trying to sell something I don't believe in. So it's, yeah. It's nice. And it's, it's a, it's a quiet, I mean, it's not quiet. There's days that are heavier than others, but it's, it's a job that I can do and also, you know, do what I'm doing right now and be able to get all my work done in a day and, and not have to yeah. worry about putting one thing on the back burner. So it's a, it's a good spot for me. No, that's great. Well, it seems like it's a good, it fits well with your ethos, right? I mean, 
yeah, it's pretty natural the stuff you've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. uh, well, the reason I, the reason I asked is because it's just one of those, I, when I first started thinking about this podcast, I was like, I want to talk about people's real lives. You know, yeah. I think a lot of podcasts that I've listened to, you go, here's an interview and they go, Oh, how did you make it big? And yeah. how did you, and I'm like, you know what? The most, most of the photographers I admire the most there, that story doesn't exist. Or if it does exist, it's already been told. Yeah. And it's boring. Yeah. I'm way more interested in finding out like, what do you, what drives you? Why do you do this? Um, is it your job? Is it not your job? What do you do for your job? You know? I, yeah, totally. No, I, some people are like, you know, I, like Jared, he, he works in like the, he's like an EMT or a nurse or something, right? Like he, he works, he runs, um, he's imaging tech is what he does. He's like, uh, I think I want to say MRI or CAT scan. Yeah. But he was just like in it in the last oh, year and a half with COVID. Like it's yeah. for him to get out and shoot the stuff he does, I feel like is, and I'm speaking for him, which I shouldn't be doing, but just from my perspective, like you get out and shoot that stuff because you need something to heavily contrast the other shit that you're seeing in your day job because you need to not come home and just be stuck in that, you know? So I think everyone shoots for a different purpose. Some people are trying to, you know, buy their mom a house, like pay off student debt. Um, you know, like everyone's doing something for a different reason. So I I think it is important to kind of figure out what's beneath the surface, you know, like we're not all just full-time photographers just doing it for the love of the art. Like there's, there's always something that drives us. So, Oh yeah, for sure. Well, I, I love that. uh, And Tara has, he says she's his, uh, (laughs) photography wife. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but, um, they're both happily married to other people, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. um, she's a, she's a full-time, uh, family physician. Cool. So yeah, it's, um, and, and, and like the, and most of my friends that, you know, I have a couple of friends that are photographers full-time, but most of yeah. them have day jobs and they're doing other stuff. Totally. So, um, I would love to know if there's anybody that you think would be somebody I should talk to on, on oh, gosh. the podcast. There's a lot of people, um, I would like to hear, you know, I talked to Nathan Bauman quite a bit. Um, he put out the Hidden in Plain Sight collection on on OpenSea. And yeah. he's someone who I think would be really interesting for you because he's done like the Pacific Crest Trail, like the Continental Divide Trail. He's done a bunch of backpacking outdoorsy stuff, shoots film, shoots weddings. Like, I think he's a, he's a full-time photographer, um, yeah. but he's just done. He's a fun dude. He's always fun to chat with. Um I call him up sometimes just to like yesterday I was nerding out about the scans I got back. I'm like, dude, you have to call me. Like I have to, I have to talk to someone about like how excited I am for these photos. Um, so he's just fun to talk to. So I definitely recommend Nathan. Um, if you haven't talked to Judy Lindsay yet, she is. I've a, talked to her in spaces, but I haven't, um, but I haven't connected with her outside of that. You could probably talk to her for like three hours. Um, oh yeah. No, she's a I feel like Judy, Judy could talk for days, but she's also, you know, she's like a NFT photo OG. Um, yeah. and also yeah. like a radio show host, I think in Seattle yeah. and, yeah. and an artist well, she and crosses, a painter. <laughs> I was she crosses over into the other kinds of fine art, not just photography. Yeah, she does painting. She does photography. Um, Yeah. She'd be fun. But yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, those are the two that jump out right away. Um, Those are great. And obviously, you know, I'll think of 10 other people as soon as we're off the call. So I'll uh, I'll send you a DM if anyone pops up. But for sure, those two I highly recommend. Those are good suggestions. Uh, Nathan is is somebody I've been uh, 
you know, just kind of kicking some DMs back and forth just lightly with because just admiring what he does. I'm like, it's, I'm always dude. like, that's, yeah, yeah. He seems, uh, I've listened to him talk in spaces and he just is a crack up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hearing he's his stories like, behind these photos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I bought one over the weekend that is like, uh, it's got this like limousine that's like sticking straight up out of the ground. <laughs> That's and literally was, what I was thinking about. Yeah. And he was like, yo, I saw this when I was driving and like sand on my brakes and like went backwards down the highway. And I'm like, dude, that's, there's just so much excitement and passion behind what he does that it's, it's hard not yeah. to love it. So I'm sure well, he'd and be a fun chat. And I love that he's not somebody I would never would have heard of before. True. You know, I, mean, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd ever seen his work before jumping in, into the, you know, this whole thing on Twitter. So same yeah we cool. i don't know how we connected but yeah we he, he probably live? he probably popped into a space one day i think he's out of ohio um, okay okay yeah, there's that vibe in his photos some yeah some kind of some kind of mid midwest upper midwest uh yeah in you know kind of into the uh into that kind of rust belt sort of totally and he's taking vibe. a lot of shots like cruising across country and yeah. Just kind of going through these small towns and finding these these gems of old cars in the middle of nowhere and yeah. shooting medium format film, which, you know, he played a huge part in in talking me into taking the dive with the Mamiya 7. So, um, yeah. you know, I'm definitely got to. Yeah, I'll have to send you. They'll, they'll be dropping quick, but I'll send you to him in a DM here. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to see him. I, and yeah. I'll have to I'll have to show you some of mine. I, I'm. I have a whole bunch of fun stuff. It's kind of fun because I'm seeing pictures of my kids from five years ago. I haven't. Oh, that's really awesome. And, and that's I really cool. A whole bu- I got a bunch developed and then there's some just winners in there. I go, holy crap. How did I never share this? <laughs> yeah. You give you know, flex a little bit, just the dust off your shoulders. You're like, all right, I see you, Dan. I, 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 I can do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always a good it's feeling because kind- film will always tell you like you either fuck this up or you nailed it. Oh, and you know what? It's always like- a good feeling when you nail it. Well, and it's especially good to look at those photos and go, those turned out, which yep. is good because I barely remembered how to load the film into the yes. back of, in, oh into my the gosh. Film back. <laughs> I had some, I had some miracle rolls looking back. Like I loaded film wrong for a handful of rolls that somehow got caught up and loaded the right way, but I was doing it wrong for a long time. <laughs> so definitely well, in one twenty is especially weird that way because you know at least with thirty five you've got the little sprocket holes you know yeah. so it yeah. can't get I mean it can get screwed up but it's harder to screw it up. Oh, I one twenty is weird <laughs> and every every one twenty camera is different. It's really totally. different. Like the the mechanics are are you, you have to know your camera's mechanics really well for sure. Um, Hasselblad, if you ever want to like go down a rabbit hole of like all the different ways you can screw it up, <laughs> go YouTube how to load film into a Hasselblad. Bag. Oh my god! It's, yeah, it's pretty weird it was quite the endeavor um looking back on it now like loading film in the mamiya is pretty damn easy um it's it, it's it's very 35 millimeter ish yeah but here's like such a noobish moment is I, I opened up the portrait and i didn't see the little flap that was folded under the end oh yeah yeah so i'm like how the hell do i load this film like this isn't gonna fit right. in this in this hole to get caught like how and i'm like googling how to load film like texting nathan like how the hell do i do this and then i see that there's a tab that's folded under i'm like right there it is like it's just these little things that you're like god i'm such an idiot looking back i'm gonna be so embarrassed that i even said that but it's like you gotta love 80 year old technology though right (laughs) yeah you're like it's this little paper tab it's gonna open up this whole world for you put it in the hole and wind it up there you go and it's like all right now i get it but i think i've got it down i feel good about it so yeah, oh, I think once you, and then once it becomes old hat, pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, but that's uh, why 
it's important to get out and shoot often because I went so long not shooting 35 that last time I shot and got through a roll, I wound it the wrong direction and wound all the film completely out of the canister. Opened up the back, saw it was all out, closed it really fast, took it to the lab and had them take it out in their dark room. Cause I was like, I screwed this up. Like it's been so long since I shot that I forgot like this super crucial step. Like it's in. Well, and yeah, that's kind of wild. Well, it was rough. That's, that's an easy, was that one that you've gotten back yet? Did it turn out? Yeah. So that role, there's some shots that are going to be in that drop. Um, they're tastefully expo- overexposed. <laughs> it looks like cool, a light. Cool. It looks like a light leak. So luckily, no, good. Well, you're, that would have been really trendy about ten years ago, right? Exactly. So there's like a <laughs> there's a couple of them in there, but um, early Instagram. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, they're happy accidents. Well, that mistake is a really easy one to make because that's how you shoot 120 film, right? Yeah. Exactly. Like you you um you know you have to unroll the whole thing first before you start. And then exactly. it rolls it back onto the roll as you're shooting. Yeah, yeah. it goes across. It go, It leaves one roll and Whereas ends up on the other. Thirty-five starts in the canister. Yeah, and thirty-five starts in the canister, unrolls itself as you're shooting, and then you roll it back up when you're done. Exactly. So yeah. So the exact opposite. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating, <laughs> fascinating tech. Yeah. <laughs> For lack of a better okay, word. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'd love it. Okay, so um, what is the where do you want people to go if they want to look at your work? Oh gosh, probably Twitter. Unfortunately, okay. <laughs> at this time, I need to update my website. Um, I've had it called out a couple times now, so I think it's definitely something I need to actually go in and and give a nice little facelift to. Um, yeah, Twitter um, at Christopher Shin with a K, and then same thing on Instagram. I post primarily film work over on Instagram uh, at this point. So. That's it. where I'm at. I'm on Twitter more than I should be. So <laughs> more yeah, more likely all, than not, if you are. shoot if you shoot me a DM on Twitter, I'll use your swap bond within like 10 seconds. So um, yeah, yeah. At least for the time being. So it's the world we're living in right now. It is. Yeah, it's a it's a exciting and fun world we're living in, and I hope that you know, hopefully, competition and and cutting each other down and controversy and kind of high school drama doesn't find its way into it because up to this point it's been good, but. Yeah, As more and more sure. people come in, it's probably inevitable, but we just got to remember at the end of the day why we're all there and that we're all cut from the same cloth. So, yeah, no, I love it. Gotta, well, I yeah. really appreciate, appreciate you taking the time. This has been really fun. And uh, of course I will, uh, we're going to, it's going to be fun to, to see where this all goes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. I'm, I'm just excited every day presents something new. So you wake cool. up, you get on Twitter, you're like, what's going on today? Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad we were able GM to GM and GN. Dude, I just say, yeah, I, I say GM all day, I think, even when I'm going to bed. <laughs> well, it's for the Indians, right? That's Yeah, it's, it's GM for someone. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Thanks. This has been awesome. Awesome, Dan. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Also, I'm open to suggestions for interesting people to interview. So if you know of someone I should talk to, please reach out. You can reach out to me via the email link in the show notes, or you can send a message on Instagram or Facebook with the handle at go take pictures. New episodes are on the way soon. And if you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they drop. But in the meantime, go take pictures. <laughs>